Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. As far as game two is concerned, they really needed Justin Verlander more than anything to give them innings. When you think about what happened the night before, one of the negatives about blowing a lead like that, even when you win, is not, like I said to you earlier, just win the damn game but there are ramifications you feel after you have to use your entire bullpen. After you have to use out of Vino and Robertson throws a lot of pitches and Rayleigh's out there. And one of the ramifications is, are those guys available the next day? And even if they are, that would just certainly eliminate them from pitching the following day. So going into Wednesday, that was a part of my thought process. You know, as great as the win was, their bullpen being so crappy forced them to have to use all their high leverage guys. So they needed not just a good performance by Verlander because the Mets have to win basically every game they play, but they needed depth from Justin Verlander. And, you know, from the get-go, really until the seventh inning when he had a laborious inning, he wasn't only getting outs. He was doing it quickly, very, very quickly. And I don't mean quickly because, hey, I'm at the game and I like two-hour, 10-minute games but quickly in that he was saving all of his bullets. So here's my question for everybody out there, because I give you my answer. It's the third inning. At what point, if at any point, did you turn to a friend or text someone and say, hey, Verlander's pretty perfect so far. What are we thinking? (laughs) Did you ever get to that point, Pete? Because he did allow a hit to lead off the fourth. So again, as I'm walking through the track, I definitely was all about it, but the problem is I was listening to Keith Redd and uh, and Pat McCarthy, and they very early on would say, it's perfect two innings, perfect really? three innings. I'm like, you know what? You guys got to shut up. Like, please. <laughs> we don't need this right now. Before you know it, it's going to be a six-run fourth. I don't need this. <laughs> By the way, what, what was going through my mind is, so I did Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday with Joe Big. And I, we had a discussion at one point about the no-hitters in Met history and what it would mean to get a perfect game. 
And what I questioned with Joe, and it's actually an interesting discussion that we could have more in long form on the Rico at some other time, was if Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander pitched a perfect game for the Mets in a season that's going nowhere with their Met careers really being marked by not coming up big, would that perfect game matter that much to you? Or would would you kind of look at the guy who did it and say, eh, like Scherzer's probably a better example than Verlander because Max has come up so small in so many big spots already. Like if Max Scherzer pitches a perfect game this weekend in Boston, I'll give you a great example. Saturday afternoon, he goes to Fenway, perfect game. The Mets still finished 10 games under 500. And Scherzer is still defined by coming up small and big starts. Are we really going to celebrate that perfect game? Or do you need the right guy in the right moment? Here's the right. Well, you got to be the right guy. doesn't have to be the right moment. Because I'm telling you right now, if, if Jacob deGrom during one of his Cy Young years threw a perfect game, I think we would have been amazed, even though the team was still cracked. Yeah, yeah, but yeah Because yeah. It's, it's a guy like a Scherzer or a Verlander, yeah, it it wouldn't. In this te- this season was a, a terrible and 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 bottomed out the way it's been going so far. That that wouldn't mean anything to me. I, it'd actually still be like get the hell out of here. Johan was almost the perfect guy because even though the team underachieved around Santana, he proved he was clutch. Game, uh, game one sixty one, three days rest, torn meniscus against the Marlins, complete game. Like I know he never got a chance to pitch in the postseason, but Johan showed us, hey, he had balls. And none of us really have a negative taste towards Johan Santana. So he was the right guy. And I think that's why it worked out. Either way, Verlander did not pitch a perfect game Wednesday night, nor did he really threaten one. But he did retire the first nine guys. And he worked around giving up the hit he gave up to Andrew Benintendi. And that was it for the first six innings. The only base runner against Justin Verlander was that single by Benintendi. And credit to the Mets. Brett Beatty had a home run for his second straight game in the third inning. They took advantage of Tuki Toussaint's control issues in the fourth inning, got a huge RBI single by Alvarez, went the other way, and then had productive outs by Beatty and Gourmet that drove in two more runs. Brandon Nimmo had an RBI double, and that 5 nothing lead felt very, very comfortable. This was a very different feeling than a night earlier because Verlander was so locked in. And and so far with, with Verlander, he's had some of these some of these performances where you see Cy Young Verlander, where you see the guy who's the Hall of Famer, and then he's had average performances, and he's had his, you know, mediocre performances. He had his stinker in Atlanta, which unfortunately still sticks with me. But the Mets needed this. They needed that kind of dominance and they needed the efficiency. He had thrown fifty nine pitches through six innings. And I turned to my dad and said, he, he could go nine. Like, he can absolutely go nine. Now, he struggled in the seventh. He got through it, gave up the home run to Robert, got through, through. Let me see. I wrote this down. He threw 30 pitches that inning. So after throwing 59 through the first six, he went out and threw 30 pitches in the seventh inning and then pitched the eighth. And he was at an even 100 going into the ninth inning, up five to one. And there was a big part of me that wanted Buck to get the ninth out of Verlander for a a few reasons. Number one, the Mets were still scheduled to play four consecutive games. The following afternoon against the White Sox, three more with Boston before an off day. So to give your bullpen a complete off day would be pretty valuable. That's number one. 
Number two, Verlander is going to get an extra day before his next start because the Mets off day comes on Monday. And he's not pitching this weekend, obviously, in Boston. His next start or his fifth day would have been Monday. There's an off day, which means his next start will be in the Bronx against the Yankees, which I'm sure he's looking forward to. So I thought there was a perfect storm of allowing Verlander at an even 100, especially because how easy he pitched the eighth inning. Like he had that laborious seventh, but then in the eighth, he barely broke a sweat with a one, two, three inning. So it's not one of those first or second guesses I'm going nuts about necessarily, but I I wanted it. I was in the ballpark saying, come on, it's a, it's perfectly set up for Verlander to go nine, give him the ninth inning. Well, listen, here's the thing is, right? Like, I know he's 40 years old, but if this was seven years ago, there's no doubt he'd go back out there. And listen, you could have a short hook on the guy. You could have him like, I know they were warming up guys in the eighth inning, too, just in case there was an issue. Have him warm up again in the ninth. Like, who cares? Just if Verlander walks the first guy, okay, pull him. If he gets the guy on base, all right, pull him, whatever. But, like, at this point in time, the the desperation we have, especially when the bullpen comes in, you you don't know what the hell's going to happen. Let him go. Yeah, because look, we didn't know what was going to happen Thursday afternoon. Obviously, with the way the game turned out, the Mets fell behind, and you know it, it, they wouldn't have needed necessarily Adam Ottavino because the game got out of hand. But they used Ottavino for that ninth inning, which made him unavailable for Thursday afternoon. Now I don't know that Wednesday night. Wednesday night, I'm thinking, hey, I want everybody available. For Thursday afternoon. So that was the negative they could have faced from using Adam in that ninth inning against Chicago. But either way, Verlander was great. And we all have to admit it. And it was great to see. And it was it was fun, especially being in the ballpark, watching a dominant pitching performance. I love that. That's in our DNA as Med fans, you know, especially with our heritage of Tom Seaver and Doc Gooden and, and recently Jacob DeGrom. We want to see those great pitching performances. And Verlander gave it to us. On Wednesday night, he was he was utterly dominant. No, and it's amazing what the what really was amazing because, like you said, you go from a three hour and twenty minute game or whatever it was where you're sweating bullets the entire like second half of the game, and this you never e- even in like was it the seventh inning when he gave the home run to Robert and then he then Ber- uh, either Berger walked and Sheets got a base hit. Even that wasn't like very stressful. You felt like confident. Even if you did give up a big home run, you still got the lead. Whatever the case is, you still could bring in David Robinson if you need to. You didn't sweat that one out at all, and that's the rarity. You yes. never get those. Yeah, it was fun. It was a fun out at the ballpark for exactly what you just said. Like I was never stressing it at all. Like even when Verlander got in a little bit of a trouble spot in the seventh inning, I kind of just felt he was going to get through it. And they had a 5-1 lead, and yeah, there were a couple of guys on base, but I was never overly nervous. So it was a nice, comfortable victory to win their third in a row. And remember, the two games they had won, the Sunday night game against the Dodgers, the Tuesday game against the White Sox, were both very, very shaky. And I even said on the air with Joe, this is the worst two-game losing streak I've ever seen. Like the most unimpressive two-game losing, uh, two-game winning streak I've ever seen. Like, yeah, they're two wins, and I'm happy about it. I don't throw them back. But you didn't walk away from it feeling amazing. At least for the third in the three-game winning streak, I felt pretty good. Unfortunately, that was it. (laughs) Unfortunately, the three-game winning streak was where it would end. On Thursday afternoon at City Field, an afternoon weekday game I was so excited about. Because I'm off. 
I was off Thursday. I was off Friday. And then I'll work for a couple of weeks. Believe me, I will be on the air for a couple of weeks. We're launching the new show, Evan and Tiki, yippity doo da. We'll be on the air. All right. <laughs> but I'm taking a lot of vacation. What the hell do you want from me? So I say to my wife, honey, I want to bring my littlest guy to City Field. I want to bring my two-year-old Spence, just me and him and grandpa, because my dad was coming. So I got a little backup, a little backup. When I got to change his diaper, at least I can leave some bags at my seat. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not asking grandpa to do anything. I'll do everything. The changing, the diapers, the food, the the, the, the leche, that's milk. I'll do all that. But I got a backup with grandpa. And so my wife says, go ahead, bring it home, baby. So I'm excited about the game because, yeah, I want the Mets to sweep the White Sox, win four in a row. But this is my first son dad with my youngest at City Field. And it went as well as it could have gone outside of the game. I got there 1215. We're walking around. He's happy. I get the ice cream and the, uh, the home run apple. And my youngest son's got quite an appetite. He went to town on that chocolate ice cream. And it got everywhere. And I, I, I want to thank a, an unnamed usher because this unnamed usher said, can I get you some napkins? And I said, I would appreciate that. And he even placed the napkin on Spence's neck as a bib. And I'm like, look at this guy. This guy's like a grandpa. This is freaking fantastic. So thank you to that guy, especially when I left my cell phone there and I came back and luckily I was able to find it. So pregame life is good. First three innings, and by the way, I had four or five people come up to me and said, you know, I saw you holding your son and scoring a game, and I knew that had to be you because there's no other person that would score a game while holding their son, which is what I did. I pulled it off. I got him on my left knee. I got my scorebook on my right knee. He's like pointing, what this? What this? What that? What this? And I'm like, well, that's a plane, son. That's Mr. Met, son. That's Tim Anderson. And that's um, Pete Alonzo. Six dash three, strikeout two, three and a half innings of, I can't believe I'm pulling this off. Like, I can't believe I, I got my kid on one knee and I'm scoring the game on the other. And then in the fourth inning, with the Mets down two nothing. And by the way, it felt over in the first inning. I don't know why. I have no idea why, but when Eloy Jimenez hit the RBI single, and by the way, oh, let, me, let me say a few things about this game. Tommy Pham looked hurt immediately. If you remember the Luis Roberts single, and that was right after Tim Anderson singled, Tommy Pham took forever to get to that baseball in left field, and Anderson very easily got to third base. And it was suspicious that Pham took as much time as it took for him to get to that baseball and throw it in. So instead of first and second one out, which it should have been this first and third one out, and then when Eloy Jimenez hits the RBI single, there's no guarantee if he's on second, he comes in to score. It probably is bases loaded one out. Either way, Quintana gives up that first inning run. Three straight singles certainly didn't help him out. Fam's kind of lackluster defense in left field. He gives up the leadoff double in the second inning, and to the White Sox credit, they had productive outs to get that second run home. But down 2 nothing to Michael Kopech, it just, I don't know why, 
Maybe it's because of all the runs they scored on Tuesday and Wednesday. I just didn't feel good about the offense getting out of that early deficit. But in the fourth inning, my youngest son says he wanted to t- he wants to take a walk. And I was like, ah, I could do that. City Field's an open stadium. I'll take him for a walk. Plus, this is not about the Mets. This is about Spence. This is about him enjoying a day at the ballpark. So we go out. We're walking around. And he, he just says to me, he points. And he points up. I was like, well, what do you want? You want the Cariola? Cariola is the uh, stroller in Spanish. You know, we're a bilingual household. He says, yes. I put him in this Cariola Hoff. 35 seconds in, he is snoring and he is passed out. And he is done. Like, he's a two-year-old. He had a very busy morning, a very busy pregame. He downed an ice cream. He watched four innings on his dad's lap. And now he is drooling all over himself like he's a senior citizen who passed out after a long game of shuffleboard. Well, what time What time is this? Because if it's like one thirty, quarter to 2, like that's got to be a nap time for him, no? Bingo. It's about 2 o'clock. <laughs> you, you nailed the time. And, and here's what, what I knew. When I left to go to the game, I knew he needed to nap in the car. And if he didn't, which he did not, two things were going to happen. One of two things were going to happen. Either he was going to pass out, which he did, or he was going to be in a mood like a everything sucks, I hate the world mood. Which would you prefer, him passed out or the mood? I won. Oh, a thousand percent. That's a home run right there. Even though the Mets didn't hit one. Well, actually, he did. Uh, Omar Narvaez hit one right around the time, right? That's right. That's right. (laughs) So he passes out, and I just stroll him around the ballpark watching the game. And I finally find a spot. There's a lot of great standing room around City Field. I started off in the right field corner, and then I worked my way almost behind home plate. I was field level, like, behind the Met dugout, standing room. So I'm standing, which I don't mind. And I got the stroller in front of me and he's sleeping. And that was it. That was me for the next five innings. <laughs> so grandpa's by himself. I'm watching the game. I don't want to bother Spence. The only time I bothered him, I was in a very tough father conundrum. He was obsessed with Mr. Met, which I think all the kids are. In the sixth inning, Mr. Met started standing right next to us. So I'm like, man, do I wake my kid up so that he can meet Mr. Met? It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. I didn't know what to do. So I, I wake him up. I'm like, Spence, 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 Mr. Matt. He opens his eyes. He looks over, puts his head back down, and passed out immediately. So I feel like, all right, I, I, did, I did that job. You tried. You Listen, he can't get angry at you. I mean, he can, but he can't. Nah, he knew. I explained that. <laughs> I, when he woke up, I did, and he was fine with it. And he slept until the eighth inning. I was like, it was unbelievable. Like, I'm standing there. And I met a lot of fine people, by the way. And everybody was very, very nice. And, and, and I can't tell you how many people come up to me and say, the only reason I recognized you is because you're scoring a Mets game. 
And I guess it's how I'm scoring the Mets game that, you know, in one case, I got my son bobbing on my left knee. And in the next case, I'm using the cover of his stroller as a table to score the game while he's passed out. And I guess people see that image and say, well, that has to be that schmuck who does Rico Bronia with Pete Hoffman. I guess that's what people come up with. But look, the game was terrible. I mean, (laughs) I'm trying to avoid talking about the game. Like, let's talk about fatherhood and strolling around City Field. Listen, I I, I just have to say, good for you. Now, this is not Spence's first game, right? No, he's been at games with with Mama, with his older brother, with me. He's been to a handful, but this was the first daddy and son game, if you will. No, I got you. But listen, that's that. It's 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 a good experience for you, your your father, because you're able to at least put it all together. And worst comes to worst, if things get real bad, you could pawn them off on your dad. No, for future <laughs> reference. I, I kept telling myself, I'm not going to do that. Like the, the beauty of my dad being there, besides, you know, the company of him, is that when you take a kid to a game, and I even know this with my oldest son who's six, is I have to bring so much crap. Like I got to bring food just in case. I got to bring a tablet. I got to bring, you know, waters. I just so many more things than I would normally bring. So you end up carrying a lot of crap. So I think what was nice is having some extra hands just in case. That was the real so, help. So the difference between you and I is because, I mean, first of all, you're going to games a lot more than me. You're probably bringing your family way more than I am, even though I, I feel like I'm big this year in particular. I've been taking the, the kids to, to a game at least like once every other week, which has been pretty solid, maybe once a week, whatever. Not bad. But I, I don't bring anything besides them. And is that the crazy thing to do? Because I feel like you say you bring in food, you're bringing this, you're bringing that. Is it, listen, it's more um, financially acceptable or for financially beneficial to bring sandwiches, to bring other things. It, Are you doing I, I that? I promise you, it's not even about the money. It's about, like, you know, I want to I want to be in my seat. Like, I, I, I get up and I got up for Spence. Like, I'm going to get up if I have to. But ideally, I want to set things up where we can be in our seat for nine innings. And that's the way I learned it. Like, my dad, when he took me and my sister to Met games, we were not getting up a lot. Like, there were rules. Like, we're going to be here for nine innings and we ain't getting up. So there's things I can bring to avoid getting up, you know, bringing a half a muffin because my kids like a muffin and bottles of water and things like that. It really isn't, oh, I'm cheap and I don't want to spend money at City Field, though I don't want to give the Mets any more of my money, but I also don't want to wait online. I don't want to get up. I don't want to walk around. Uh, Tablets I bring as an insurance policy because they get bored. I got to do something. And one of the the funniest thing is... um, my oldest son, Jet, when he uses his tablet as a, at a Met game, he uses it to play baseball. So he's he looks up to watch baseball and then plays baseball with the same Met team, usually against the same team we're facing. Wait, wait, wait. What, what game is he playing? He plays a game called Tap, tap Baseball. Okay. Tap baseball is good. There's also like another like another card baseball game that my 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 youngest son plays, but he plays both. Okay. And those things are great because it gets, you know, teaches the kids a lot about baseball. That's for sure. So you kind of, you're doing both. I will tell you this and before we get back to the actual game, because we're trying to prevent getting to this, this third game. <laughs> we're doing we really are. We're doing, we're doing our, uh, th- I will say this much. Now, he's five years old right now, my youngest, Anthony. Yes. 
He plays baseball with his brother. He now he and his brother's thirteen years old, so he goes and watches his games. But he plays a lot of the show and everything else. I gotta be honest; it's not a bad thing because he is educationally like light years away from a lot of the kids that haven't played these games at all. Like in in a game, in 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 coach pitch, he knows what to do if he's on second base and there's not a runner on first. He he knows that he doesn't have to go to third base. He knows if there's bases loaded, he's he's on the pitching mound to go home. He knows all yeah. this stuff, and it's because of the games he plays. So 100%. it's not a bad thing. It's not no, a bad these thing. these sports video games are good things to learn to learning the game. You know, you mentioned situations, which is great. Even just learning about players and teams. It's it's funny. I said this on the air to Joe, and I was tongue in cheek a little bit, but I'm sort of not. We were talking about radical realignment. Because Joe is under the impression, rightfully so, that inevitably the Mets, the Yankees, the Red Sox are all going to be in the same division. And I said to him, look, Jet plays tap baseball. And for whatever reason, the standings in tap baseball is all geographic. Like he's in a pennant race with the Blue Jays, right? And I believe it's Major League Baseball's way of infiltrating our youth into thinking this is acceptable. Like, yeah. Of course, the Mets and Yankees and Red Sox are competing for the same division, just like they do in tap baseball. So I think they're trying to infiltrate our kids' minds into this is the preferred outcome anyway, so that when they finally do it, everybody's okay. with um, As far as this game is concerned, look, Quintana was fine. He gives up those two runs early, and he settled down. So five innings, two runs, acceptable performance. Was he pulled too early? I think it's his first start of the year mentality with Buck of, I don't want to push him too far. Third time around the batting order. Uh, I think his pitch count was like in the high 70s, low 80s. So it was low. But first start of the season, I think they were trying to be extra careful. The problem is Drew Smith sucks. Man, that's really the issue. Drew Smith in the first half of last year looked like a capable major league pitcher who could be in your circle of trust. And really, over the last year, he's been atrocious. Now, I'm not exonerating Pete Alonzo. I want to make that very clear. Pete Alonzo, on the first pitch of the sixth inning, gets a ground ball right to him. He lets a ball go under his glove and showed a lot of emotion on the field for how pissed off and disgusted he was. That doesn't mean that Drew Smith has to give up a base hit to the next hitter. That doesn't mean... Drew Smith has to walk the following hitter. That doesn't mean Drew Smith on an 0-2 pitch needs to give up a two-run double to Yasmani Grandal. So, yes, the error was unacceptable, and it was a huge play in this game. I am not ignoring it, but it doesn't take away from the fact that Drew Smith is atrocious. Atrocious! And even after he gets the next two outs... He gives up the RBI triple to Elvis Andrus. Did he stick with Drew Smith too long? Yes. Yes, he did. Like, after the error, the next three guys get on base. At what point do you say, hey, maybe Drew doesn't have it today. Let me get him out of the game and go to David Peterson or Dominic Leone or anybody. Like, anybody at that point. So, yeah, I thought he stuck with Drew Smith way too long because it turned a two-to-one game completely out of reach because this was a close game. And against the White Sox, as Pete mentioned earlier, a bad team, a team that's 17 games under 500, keep the game close, 
you've got a chance. Even after the two-run double by Grandal, okay, it's 4-1. to one. The game is not over. And yet Drew Smith stays in this game. And look, David Peterson, when he eventually came in, actually looked pretty good. Struck out Andrew Benintendi after he issued a leadoff walk, picked off Tim Anderson. He looked good. Dominic Leone looked good. Trevor Gott even looked good. Everybody looked decent except for Drew Smith. And that was infuriating. So I have a question for you because I, I wanted to bring up what we were talking about the first game, but I this was more timely for me because this game just happened and uh, it's you know still four innings to go. You have two pitchers in Carrasco and now in Quintana, which you know Quintana, it's his first game back, so I understand, yes, pitch count, 77 pitches. You still could have pushed him, but you don't want to because his first game back. Why is David Peterson – like, listen, I don't like him in the bullpen. Right. But why is he – especially in the first game where you have that big of a lead, why is David Peterson not getting an opportunity? Because he gives you at least length, Right. Like, why didn't he go to Peterson in the sixth inning as compared to Drew Smith? Yeah. I I think it probably had more to do with who was coming up that he looked at Robert and Jimenez and said, I like the Drew Smith matchup. I don't want to bring David Peterson a lefty in a face some of those bigger right-handed bats. So I think it was a matchup reason from Buck, which, which, by the way, I get. I understand it. I just think when a guy's ineffective, you need to quickly get them out of the game. You know, like, and it was the same with Trevor God from two nights earlier. Like, he did not have it. What did you think was going to change? You know, one of these things about mediocre relievers, Dominic Leone's a great example. There are days when Dominic Leone comes in and looks great. Thursday, finale of the series, he was great, the one inning he pitched. And then there are days in which he sucks. When, it, when you have one of those up-and-down relievers, and the Mets have a lot of them, Drew Smith, Trevor God, Dominic Leone. When it's evident early on they don't have it, after the three batters, get them out. So I I, I don't want to say I completely disagree with you because if he went to David Peterson to start the sixth inning, I wasn't going to freak out. But I think that's a matchup thing. I think he looked at who was coming up and figured he wanted the right-hander on the mound more so than he wanted Peterson. Yeah, but the right right now, and this this goes to show a lot about Buck this year, a lot of his moves he's making are the wrong ones, and, oh, and yeah. it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed even this late in the season. Yeah, and look, they lost this game because the offense, which was so good on Tuesday and was pretty good on Wednesday, did nothing. It didn't do anything. Omar Narvaez had a home run in the fifth inning, great two out home run, yippity doo da. And Pete Alonso gave you at least one minor positive with an RBI single in the eighth inning. Outside of that, they didn't hit. They could not figure out Michael Kopech. They didn't do much against the bullpen. They ended up with, what was it, five hits in the game. So what's been the story all year long? They're up and down. They're up and down. When they pitch, they don't hit. When they hit, they don't pitch. And the finale of this series kind of hit that. They made a bad defensive miscue that cost them. Their bullpen was atrocious. Their starting pitching was fine but didn't go deep enough, and they got nothing out of their offense. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 